You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. It is Friday, January 15, 2021. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ed Harrison, and I'm going to be joined shortly by Real Vision CEO Rao Powell. But first, with the news of the day, Jack Farley. Thanks, Ed. Price action was risk off today. Bonds rallied as U.S. equities edged lower alongside copper and oil. Energy was the S&P 500 sector that dipped the most. And interestingly, ExxonMobil was down less than some of its peers, despite the investigation that the SEC launched probing whether the company overvalued key assets in the Permian Basin. A flight to quality, perhaps? The banks had a rough day as they reported earnings. JP Morgan reported a record quarterly profit of $12.1 billion for Q4 2020. It achieved this not just by its strong investment banking profits, but also by decreasing its loan loss reserve, which it booked as a profit. The bank also reported that deposits were up 30% year-over-year, largely due to the Federal Reserve's balance sheet expansion, or QE. Despite this, J.P. Morgan was down on the day. The riskier banks, whose balance sheets are less of a fortress, perhaps, did not fare so well. Why this roadblock in the reflation rotation? Well, you never know. Was it the U.S. Census Bureau announcing today that retail sales were down for the third consecutive month, well below expectations? Or was it Biden's stimulus plan clocking in at $1.9 trillion that didn't quite deliver the shock and awe that markets were hoping for? In other news, even though credit risk is priced at record lows, interest rate risk looms large for the bondholder. Despite spreads continuing to decrease, U.S. investment-grade bonds actually had a very bad time last week, which in terms of total return was the worst week since August. This is because bonds are now more sensitive to rising interest rates than ever. In other news, the epic short squeeze on GameStop appears to be over for now. What happened was that traders on Wall Street bets conspired to drain all dealer supply of the stock, triggering on Wednesday the margin call of all margin calls, which led to the stock skyrocketing over 100%. Lastly, the CDC reported today that they predict that by March, the B117 variant of COVID-19, the much more transmissible one, and the one that first appeared in the UK, will likely be the dominant strain in the US by March. That's all for me. Back to Ed and Rao. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Thanks, Jack. Well, it is Friday. I'm excited. Uh, it's great well, to talk to the two of us, the dream team, back together, Ed. Yeah, let's go. And you know, <laughs> I was telling you that before this, I had a, uh, a daydream that uh, we were doing this, and I ripped open my uh, my you know I, I wear these uh, uh, what do you call it? these sweaters, and it had a gas monkey uh, t-shirt on, just like you wear. 
And, you know, I didn't tell you the second thing that was in this dream was that I, I, uh, I had a background that was exactly like yours. You know, it was like a fake background and it had a pool ball. It was only the cue ball that was on the pool table. OK, just like you have right now. So, you know, it's like, what does that even mean? The pool ball, the, the cue ball there. I don't know. But I, I, everyone says, well, why, why aren't you playing pool? I'm like, this isn't a bar. This is my house. And if I'm actually on television, I can't be playing pool at the same time. Well, I could be. I mean, I can, I can get up and play pool if you want it, but I'm not very good, but I'll give it a go. <laughs> Just uh -oh. so, they're going to critique your form. You know that. Oh, that's not, that's not bad, you know? And I didn't get anything down. Hey, so for all of you watching this, please, uh, in the comments, critique that form. What is Rao missing? How well did he do? I'm, I'm missing, A, an ability to play pool. Two, <laughs> any coordination whatsoever. Three, a drink. <laughs> so, uh, Raul, I, I, uh, it's a raucous uh, Friday, bad market day in some ways, but, uh, you know, um, you know, I'm not even going to preface it in terms of what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? What's on your mind about the markets right now? You know, I, I raised it last week and I've been raising it for a while and I've been raising it on Macro Insiders and you and I even talked about it last time we were together, is we're in a risky window now. The window is... Europe shut down. We've just seen, I think, Toronto get shut down. Peak virus, a slowdown. Biden about to come in. The probability of more restrictions um, across the US rising. We've also just got through all of this um, option gamma that's rolled off because it's option expiring. That was keeping the market up. So it's kind of, we're now at that period where things can change. We also talked about Okay, the dollar was massively oversold. So, and it had the largest speculative positions short of the dollar in history. So that's starting to get unwound. We've seen um, you know, the equity market, which is a huge speculative excess right now, for whatever reasons people want to talk about. And all of this stuff starting to feel like it's going to come unwound. And it's something we've, we've all been expecting, and it's not something I've been trading. I've been long the bond market, which we'll come on to in a bit as well. Um, and even crypto is getting shaken out today um, in a very, very volatile Friday. I'm not sure that this is not a sign of a larger corrective move. Mm. Um, retail sales today as well. Pretty terrible numbers. Yeah, I must say that, you know, I mean, what you're talking about it sounds like, uh, you know, there is a lot of froth that needs to be taken out. Uh, you know, just from a macro perspective, the question that we, that we're, the period that we're entering is, you know, how frothy is this? And um, I think Jeremy Grantham, what he uh, put forward, I don't know if you saw that piece, it, it, was, it was very compelling, I had to say. The, the thing about it, uh, just from an equities perspective, that I found most worrisome, however, was his comparison to, uh, you know, 1999 and uh, 1929, you know, that we're in the midst of something that's epic. Yeah, I mean, look, I know it's unfashionable to be a macro bear, um, but when you see a trillion dollars of penny stocks trading in a month, that's never happened in history, nothing close. It tells you the speculative excess. We've seen 
individual option trades, all-time record highs. You know, pretty much every measure has shown speculative excess that hasn't been around since 2000 or 99. So you've got to take it seriously. I mean, does it mean that we're about to have a massive bear market? No. Could it? For sure. I mean, this is not a this is not a market for widows and orphans, I think. I think you just have to be careful. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about that in the context of the dollar, this massive dollar short that you were talking about coming unwound. I mean, it seemed to coincide with a relatively aggressive move up in terms of the steepening of the yield curve. You know, what's leading what? And is that something that is a persistent move? Or as you say, are you on the other side of that? Yeah, you know, it's complicated. I think Roger Hurst laid out a good case um, that the entire reflation trade is mainly a dollar weakness trade. Um, and if you look at the correlations, it seems that it's the most likely cause. Um, so as the dollar reverses, it unwinds a lot of the reinflation trade. But rates did back up. And I found that unusual. Uh, Julian and I on Macro Insiders have talked about it at length. I mean, he's a reflationist and he thinks that the reflation story means the bond yields go up and then the Fed maybe have to intervene and use implement yield curve control and it causes an upset to the equity market. That could be the case. Or it could be the case that bond yields are out of step with what else is happening. If you look at bond yields around the world, um, if you look at um, real-time economic data in the US, it's all fallen. And we've seen it with retail sales. You know, I was warning people that December was going to be terrible. You know, I called it the Grinch that got that killed Christmas. And that's that's really what happened, that that Christmas spending season disappeared. So maybe the bond, maybe bonds are at the wrong price. And that's a bet I quite like because you can buy bond call options, TLT call options or or options on futures relatively inexpensively. If my bet's wrong and I'm the idiot, I don't lose a lot of money. If I get it right, I can make a ton of money. Um, and they're very much at the top of the range, something I've been tweeting about. And I know Travis as well, who took his his first daily briefing yesterday in disguise. Yeah, I thought it was good. It was yeah. good. To, he, he, he brought the heat on certain issues. One's on crypto that I didn't know anything about, to be honest. Yeah, and, you know, it's encouraging to see hobbits on television nowadays, not just in films. <laughs> Um, but no, he did a great job and he's been very bullish on the bond market as well. So, um, you know, we actually both differ massively on Bitcoin, but on the bond market, uh, you know, it feels like a decent bet. I'm not an inflationist. I've said it repeatedly. I'm still thinking every recession I've ever seen, the deflationary or disinflationary hangover tends to last two years. And usually the central bank is still cutting rates or stim governments are still stimulating at least 18 months after the recession's gone. Why would this be any different? You know, yeah, yeah, especially with the excess capacity, right? I mean, I don't get it, right? The Fed keeps saying unemployment at the lower tier, I, the least privileged in society, if they don't have a job, that's who we're concentrating on. Yet the bond market thinks, no, no, they don't mean it at all. Look at the price of copper going up. It must be inflation. I don't buy that. Um, I think that if you would go and ask the regular person on a regular high street anywhere in the world, they are in a world of pain right now. Any ordinary business. You know, Elon Musk is not an ordinary business. You know, Amazon is not an ordinary business. 
But the ordinary restaurant, the ordinary bar, the ordinary hairdressers, these people are in a world of pain right now. And, and that's deflationary. I think the marginal propensity for people to save money is much higher than people expect. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I had a conversation with Lakshman Acuthan today uh, where he was saying things that were very much the opposite sir. of that. I can never pronounce Lakshman's surname. Yeah, I think that the, the, the last part, the thin part, he uh, he coached me on. So if I'm saying it wrong, he can he can tell me I coached you wrong, or like Ed, you have no idea what you're doing. But uh, yeah, I think I think I got it right. Um, but you know, he was saying totally different stuff. You know, I, I I came at him with with all the usual stuff in a very respectful way. But you know, he put a cogent um, thesis together where I would say what he's saying is that uh, the super tanker is very difficult to move. Uh, and the uh, you know these these uh, leading indicators are telling me that you know if you're moving uh, the thing the super tanker it's not moving from a generally you know favorable trajectory for the global economy or the U.S. economy. I mean the takeaway for me from that is not necessarily that there won't be uh, very large decelerations uh, in that that would cause the yield curve to flatten in that period of time, but it. it it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to go back into a March 2020 situation. I'm still trying to put my, my head around the whole concept. I, you know, Europe, we're seeing a double dip. Of course, it's not going to go back to the lows of March. But we're seeing a significant double dip. The UK, we've seen a double dip. And in several other countries, we've seen a double dip. And the US real-time economic data is starting to so similar. So... I do think the yield curve in, in the terminology you're using flattens for a bit. It would make sense to me. Um, and then after that, I think the full recovery comes through in due course. But, you know, it's not clear. Even Biden's new announced another two trillion. I've lost count of the trillions now. But this would be like trillion number five if he gets this done. It's still not clear how when you give transfer payments to people, how inflationary that is when people have this propensity to save. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm just not sure that this is the big event yet. Right. You know, the, the, the reflation nexus, the narrative of reflation, the, the, pro, the point where I have the biggest problems are around the currency and, and, and rates. Because basically, if reflation's in play, rates are up, as they were recently. And on some level, the dollar is up if rates are up. Uh, that's there's a, a natural tension there, you know, to the degree that the the uh, the rates being up is the last part of the reflation trade to actually uh, make its currency. If it happens enough, it has a reflexive sort of action with the dollar, and that basically unwinds the rest of the reflation trade. Because as soon as the dollar goes up, all the other things start to look horrible uh, from a reflationary perspective. Uh, you, you know, you the, the DCF for equities doesn't look as good. Um, you know, uh, commodities don't look as good. None of those other reflationary trends happen. It seems to me that there's a very limited range within which this whole nexus uh, operates, and we're starting to get outside of that range. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the other thing that's interesting, I'm just looking at my Bloomberg screen now, is 10-year rates in the U.S., 1.1% roughly. 10-year rates in Germany, negative 53. 
10-year rates in the UK, five basis points. 10-year rates in, uh, sorry, the UK is, sorry, 28 basis points. Then we're looking, you know, across the world, they're either negative or zero. And the US rate, I still think, are still far too high considering what's going on. Um, and I, I, I think it's just going to attract capital. <laughs> I yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, let's focus on the UK for a, a second because I think that they're the easiest ones uh, to look at. Let's say uh, the US it's and the UK, these are fiat currency issuers. They have the largest degree of freedom because, you know, it's not like uh, in Europe where uh, you have those problems. They're running deficits like crazy. They're running current account deficits as well. Yet, you just gave me a number, 28 basis points. That's like uh, 80 basis points lower than where the U.S. is. How is that even possible? And what's more, I would even say if you look at the U.S., uh, the U.K. one-year rate, it's minus 13.7 basis points. What's going on in the U.K. that's not happening in the U.S.? Well, obviously, the markets interpreted the – well, the narrative would be the markets interpreted the second round of COVID and the full lockdown of the U.K. as negative. Reality is the UK curve went negative a while ago. It's been negative most of this year as soon as this hit. The US hasn't. There is an inherent belief in investors that the US cannot go negative. It's the world reserve currency. How can the US rates go negative? And something you and I have talked about many times is that it's not up to the central bank. <laughs> it's up to the market. And at some point, and I'm looking at the uh, two-year rates now, there's a beautiful flat line at about 10 basis points. Right. Right. We're currently at 13 and a half basis points. So three and a half basis points lower, four basis points lower, we've broken the support line. Next stop, zero and probably negative. So, okay, so what is the probability of that? We go back to this COVID slowdown. If this continues and let's say the equity market sells off a bit and the reflation trade comes off, all rates are going to zero. It's and, and then people will start flattening the curve because they'll go out the curve. Now, what's really interesting is if you remember we were talking about how short everybody was the dollar, mm -hmm. well, they're even shorter the bond market. Record right. shorts in 30-year bonds. They've just turned um, short neg net negative on 10-year bonds. The market doesn't believe that this could possibly not be reflation. And if they're wrong, there's a bloodbath to come from the shorts in the bond market. Right. And, you know, interestingly, in all of that, what you were saying is it, uh, the markets are telling you what's going to happen. To me, this negative rate stuff, which predates uh, the B117 variant in the UK, it's basically the market saying that, oh, by the way, the UK central bank is going negative. This is what's going to It sounds to me, and, and we've talked about this before, like when you have minus 13.7% on the UK one year, uh, the market is forcing the Bank of England into negative interest rate policy. Yes. And what it's telling you, and they will tell you, when, the, when Euribor went negative, it took 18 months before the ECB did, the Bank of England will probably go negative, call it in the next three months. But that's given them about nine months to figure out, is this going to break our system? Are the banks ready for it? Can we do it? 
Um, so, I mean, that's a normal path, and the US will go through the same. There'll be the fear, you know, is something going to break? No, it's okay. Um, and then that happens. So, you know, it, it takes time to play out and come through. But it, I, I honestly, and I've said this for a very long time, I don't think this cycle's over until rates go negative everywhere. Yeah, I, and I would agree. And, you know, the caveat, and this is something we've talked about before, Bill Campbell, who works with Jeffrey Gunlock at uh, Double On, what he was saying is the last hurrah in terms of flattening or uh, uh, going to zero and beyond is that crossing the Rubicon into negativity. Because, you know, as soon as the Germans went in negative, it just went straight down, you know, to minus 1%. You know, they hovered at minus uh, 80 basis points. But so, you know, the the uh, there's still you know, another 70 basis points, 80 basis points for the UK, more to go. And if the UK is going... It sounds to me like you're saying the U.S. is is going that direction as well. Yes, because almost every other major nation in the world is there. So, you know, I think Australia um, hit negative rates. I mean, they're now they're at nine basis points now, but they hit zero at least. New Zealand got negative. I mean, what's left? So if you are one of the world's large sources of capital, let's say sovereign wealth fund in the Middle East, and you want fixed income, what are you going to buy? Bonds or treasuries? Chances are you'll go for treasuries, particularly if you think the dollar's probably oversold. Um, and that just in itself collapses the uh, the spread between the nations. And that definitely tells you about uh, the uh, euro dollar uh, situation. For me, that's the question I have for you on that, because uh, you know, obviously, if there's that huge spread, there's going to be some plays in, in the euro dollar market. Yeah, look, the euro dollar market is a fragile beast. You know, many of us have spoken about it. You know, funding is there until it's not there. Um, with negative rates, it seems to slow down the velocity of money everywhere. Now, the US still has the highest velocity of money. And maybe that's the reason why the yield curve is a bit steeper and the bond market's higher. Most uh, the velocity of money in most major countries around the world is now below one. The U.S. is still just above one, about one and a quarter. So maybe that just explains the difference um, because the U.S. banking system seems to work a bit better than the European or the Japanese banking system. Um, but, you know, the euro dollar market itself, if we start to see a scramble for funding and we see rates goes uh, down, then we'll see the euro dollar market break 100, um, which is saying that rates across the board are going below zero. Um, which again was, you know, Euribor is the similar version to Euro dollars for Euros um, that went negative well before the central bank did. So people have got to keep their eye on this stuff because it's not very good for the banking system either, as we know. The banks have rallied a lot because they're very positive because the yield curve steepened. Um, but let's wait and see because if rates go lower again, banks' margins get crushed and banking stocks act like utilities at best. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
Right. And, you know, uh, what do you make of JPM's uh, uh, earnings? Because the thing that stood out for me, they, they reported 12 billion, which was a record. But, you know, they they took their loan loss reserves back. They basically said, you know what, uh, we overestimated how many losses we're going to have because the Fed bailed us out. You know, fiscal policy bailed us out. Is that something for us to I mean, because the market's basically saying, OK, that's what's that. This is why we're in the reflation trade. You know, JPM just told you that our trade is good money. Yes. And maybe it's good money for JP Morgan and the banks, because right. Uh, you know, as they correctly said, you provision for the losses. The government did the right thing and created the fiscal buffer. It protected the banking system. Good job, central bank. Good job, governments. I mean, that's their job. Um, so I, that's encouraging, but that doesn't say reflation. That just says <laughs> we were protected by the government. Thank you. Right. And it's also JP Morgan. It's not Citibank. It's not Deutsche Bank. You know, in, in that succession, I would say, by the way. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, JP Morgan are a pretty smart bunch. They know what they're doing. And, you know, good for them that they're over provisioned. I mean, that's great. But, you know, the banks I was worried about earlier on in the year, you know, they've rebounded. Uh, what's interesting is their reserves and stuff are all related to their, the value of their equity as well. As the equity goes to zero, they have to reserve more. So it's freed up balance sheets. So it's helped them somewhat. If the market turns lower again, it actually restricts them again. And that's just the way that the kind of banking regulations work these days. Um, so we have to always keep our eye on them because if share prices fall, they become uh, less able to lend. Right. Now, uh, two things that we haven't talked about that uh, you probably don't want to talk about because it's not the markets, but I'm going to introduce anyway. Um, I, I want to get in there. Number one, uh, let, let's actually talk with the easier part of the two, B117. And actually, you know, there's another mutation, apparently, or one or two others. Uh you know, in South Africa and, and other places. I mean, do you really think that, uh, do you care? That's the question. Is this a, 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 a imminent threat? The Ontario government, as an example, has said basically we're locking down because we know that B117, the curve looks like this with B117 and it looks like this without it. We, we this is like for us, uh, you know, March, 2020, again. You've seen it in the UK very clearly. The US, again, they're warning about it, but nobody wants to listen. So the probability is rising of an exponential growth curve to come again in the US. But everyone's like, la, 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 I can't hear you. Everything's going to be fine. That's OK. If that's what, But I think the probability is otherwise. Um, Let's see. Let's hope the U.S. avoids the situation because, again, if Biden fought the election on this, he's going to have to be as strong as possible as soon as he comes in. Because he can't go, well, don't worry, guys, just do what you want. You know, have, you know, just go to bars and restaurants. He can't allow that if he fought the election, say we would be tough on this and we're going to give you guidance on how to deal with it. So people have got to expect that the market hasn't got its head around the fact that there will be an, a government-induced slowdown of the economy, most likely. And how much of what you were saying previously is related to that incremental negative uh, impact on the economy, and how much of it is related to, okay, this is just the, you know just going forward, not even thinking about B one seventeen. 
these are the facts. They're all related, right? Because this whole recession is basically driven by the pandemic. Right. So if the pandemic rises, the balance of probabilities are that the economy falls. If the pandemic falls, the probability is the economy rises, right? It's not rocket science. So if we are seeing a large increase in the virus, forget governments. Let's assume there is no government. We live in libertarian paradise and everyone's free to do whatever they want. People will still stay at home and stop spending. Right. I mean, obviously. Um, you yeah. know, my mother's in lockdown in Spain, but she's not going out because she's 77 years old and the last thing she wants to do is become seriously ill. So it's, you know, even if humans overestimate their probability of mortality, which they do, that's why we survive, we have a survival instinct. We always overestimate our, um, um, the, the chance of death. But because of that, we take a base of action. So I don't see any other outcome but economic slowness. It just right. makes sense to me without knowing what we know about the virus. I, I wish I could disagree with you, honestly, because I mean, there's nothing you're saying that doesn't make any sense. Let me let me spend uh, the high probability tale for you that I, I see. I, I see exactly what you're saying. And I see people saying, wait a minute. OK, from a reflation trade perspective. Uh, oh, the problem it, with with all of that is the bond market. We're, we're going to flatten the yield curve. We're going to stick to everything else. But first, the first thing to go is the yield curve. That's going to reflatten for us. And and then when that reflattening happens, we'll be back to where we were when it was the FANG, when it was the stay-at-home stocks that were working, et cetera. But to me, we're going to be in a new situation because uh, you know multiples are much higher now than they were uh, six months ago, seven months ago, and and you know the the runway. Uh, for the the virus will now be further than people thought. So there's more fragility in that situation than there was, say, in June when we were in the reopening. I agree. The the problem is in this equation is most people tend to look at the stock market. You know, that's their view of the economy. But you and I know the stock market's a pretty bad macro variable. The bond market's an exceptionally good macro variable over time. The currency market, somewhere in the middle, commodity market, somewhere in the middle, and the equity market's awful. It's like 80% noise and 20% macro. Um, so I think, I don't know what happens to the stock market is the honest truth. Right. Go to a new ridiculous, more even more super duper ridiculous level? Maybe. Does it fall 30%? Maybe. I, I can't get an edge. I don't like it. I actually bought some puts for for a uh, global macro investor because I feared what's going on now. And, you know, I did that a couple of weeks ago, but I actually don't have much of an edge in that. But the bond market, you know, I tend to be quite good at that because it actually follows the economy. Um, and so, you know, I owe I, 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 with your view that, that, that the bond market is probably what we need to be looking at always because it tells the economic truth. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Uh, so here's here's where the uh, um, uncomfortable bit comes. This is the, the, the political side. It could be completely comfortable because you're just going to say, I don't care. Um, you know, on we had the whole uh, storming the the uh, the capital thing. And so we talked about it. 
And, you know, my initial view certainly was that it had some significance. Uh, but, you know, let's be honest. At the end of the day, politics don't drive the economy. The economy drives politics. The economy and earnings, all of that nexus is what's driving the politics as opposed to the reverse. Is this a different scenario here? Are we seeing something fundamental occur that's going to have some sort of feedback mechanism into markets and into the economy? Again, the answer is I don't know. I mean, I really don't. I mean, I haven't lived through this before. You know, I've lived through the decline of industrial Britain in the late 70s. There was a lot of rioting. It was miserable, but they didn't storm the parliament. Um, but we've had protests at parliament, obviously, in the past in the UK. I don't know the magnitude of this. And I, I think just the fact that the transition of power is happening next week is a good thing, because there's a chance then to, you know, in Biden's terminology, heal some wounds. Whether it heals... Who knows? You know, like, what was the answer for social media? I don't know. It's a, between a rock and a hard place. What does it do? Allow it all or, or, or ban it? Well, both seem right and both seem wrong. And so there, I, I don't think there's a black and white. People say, well, anybody should be allowed to say anything. Well, you can't if it leads to people causing violence at the Capitol. Sure, they should protest all they want, and that's their right. But to to incite violence, take weaponry, okay, that's a different thing. You know, governments generally tend not to like being overthrown by violence. Yeah. <laughs> Tends not to well. Now, obviously, there is a few revolutions. Are we at the point of revolution? I don't think so. Um, you know, and I... And We're so, knocking on wood if you say that. <laughs> and I don't really think, yeah. What do I know? I've never lived through this. I have no idea. It's... It's a, the only thing I can say is, you know, as an outsider watching the US, it's a terrifying shit show. Um, and just to see it rile up people even more is sad. Just, it doesn't stop this polarization of it's them, it's them. Just, it doesn't stop. And people have to realize that they make their own lives unhappy by endlessly blaming others whichever side anybody's on in this equation, and that the best way of dealing with this is figuring out what are the real problems at core and trying to find pragmatic ways of solving them work for everyone. And before storming the Capitol, uh, how much worse or better was this than Brexit, as an example? You're, you're someone who has their pulse in the UK also, because you know, you're a UK citizen. Um, listen, I've lived... Yeah, there's some periods of civil unrest. I was in Spain during the 2012 EU crisis, and there was a lot of people out in the streets, huge mm. millions, millions in the streets, rioting, anti-police, all of that. So I've seen that the UK was almost as vicious politically, where you lost touch with friends over it. Um, the U.S. just went one step further. Right. UK in the end settled down. Everyone's like, I get it. We need to find an answer. It's happened. But the U.S. has done the opposite for the time being. Um, and let's see. Let's see whether a new administration, uh, uh, you know, whether there can be some middle ground. Um, you know, I don't know what the, you know, the second impeachment is. Is it just theatre? 
again, I, I just don't know. I don't know what the next act of Trump or his kids are. You know, maybe he doesn't, he's not allowed to take office again, but, you know, his, his son might be. And again, some people will think that's a great thing and other people think it's a terrible thing. I don't know. You know, when you say you don't know, the obvious um, thing that comes... Sorry, Ed, I think the key point is one of the terrible things about this is I can't state my opinion because we're in a public media channel that doesn't have you. And I have a very strong view about this. I won't, I can't talk about it. Right, because yeah. for official backlash, for expressing opinion. I can talk, you can argue with me about the bond market. It's not a problem. But if I were to say what my view is, it becomes news and that's that's how bad the situation is. We're actually not allowed to express an opinion. Well, I think that that's the, that's the right call. What I would concentrate on what, that you said that makes uh, sense to me is, is when you said, I don't know. Because ultimately, for me, from a market's perspective, that's the most important thing. Uh, and it makes me think of nighty and uncertainty. You know, this guy, Frank Knight, he talked about uh, nighty and uncertainty being a lack of any quantifiable knowledge about a, an occurrence, as opposed to this, this quantifiable risk. There's this range of risks uh, of outcomes that we can plot uh, on, the, on a scale. This is a situation, when I asked you at the beginning, What's going to happen? You're like, I have no idea what's going to happen. To me, that's a situation from a market perspective that you can't hedge. Okay. So it's either this is going to happen or it's not going to happen. And to the degree that one or the other happens, that could be for people who are positioned one way or another, a, a risk, you know, a macro risk of great uh, significance. Yeah. Problem is, is I can't quantify the risk. And I can't quantify the outcomes. I'm not saying there are no risks and there are no outcomes. I just have no idea. And that, to me, as you say, tells you there's a potential that people get tipped out of their positions. If people, that, if people know there are risks and can't quantify them, what is the answer? Reduce your risk. Right. Yes. And if everybody's yeah. on one side of the boat, the boat, everyone starts moving back to the other side of the boat. Yeah. So uh, let's end this uh, then talking about, I think we already know what the answer is. I spoke to Lachman. I was talking to him about the uh, death of, of macro, right? Everything that we just led up to, to me, speaks to the whole, uh, that whole discussion of the death of macro is total bullshit. Uh, it, when I say it's total bullshit, are, are you down with, the, with that? And, and what's your view? So I'm just going to pick up my January GMI now. And the second, what's topic? Number seven, page 59. The macro king is dead. Long live the king. I think that there is a risk that G7 macro is dead um, in terms of the structural shifts, right? My career has been bond yields falling. Uh, that's been a huge trend. The equity market rising been a huge trend in my career. Um, I worry that if we look at Japan, dollar-yen traded sideways in a kind of noisy range, but pinned around 105 for two decades. What happens if the dollar did that? You know, and if bond yields were pinned at zero, and therefore credit was pinned at about, whatever, a few basis points, and the Fed didn't ever let the, the credit market implode because it implodes the pension system. 
Okay, so there we've got all of the key macro variables, currency and rates, not operating. So where does that leave the stock market? I, I really don't know in that environment. Um, where does it leave investment opportunities? Well, the same is in Japan, the same is in Europe, the same is in the UK, the same is in Canada, the same is in Australia, the same is in New Zealand. Okay, if FX doesn't go anywhere, then capital has to find somewhere to go. Um, and that's the death of macro in the G7 world or the G10 world that we all grew up in. It's probably very bullish for emerging markets mm. uh, because capital will find a return. And in that environment, there's no return in 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 G10, but there's return in any, many other places. You know, if we go into a different world, as if by magic, and we're now in India trading macro, I look at my screen, Indian rates are at 6%. Indian two years, 4.5%. Okay, well, that's a different world to start with. Um, oh, guess what? The population is 30-something, 30 32 years old. Okay, well, that's very different. You know, so there is an alternative universe that doesn't look anything like this. But investors are so used to this US G10 bias. It's going to take a while for them to get used to it. So that's my death of macro is that the opportunities that come out of macro trading tend to be more cyclical as opposed to secular. And the secular trend shift goes elsewhere. I like it. Uh, and, you know, I would call it the stroke of macro, uh, where I have a stroke. I can't move my arm. My arm is the one I use for writing. That's the G7 arm. It's it's dead. It's 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 immobile. But, you know, macro lives on. Yeah. Macro will fight another day. Long, you know, the king is dead. Long live the king. It's just going to look different. You know, the crypto world is another macro expression of risk reward that is new to everybody and that will only grow as well so many people who are trained with the skill sets of the old world are going to have to new learn new skill sets emerging markets frontier markets and um crypto for example just new things and that that's great new opportunity new sources of alpha um less capital involved right now means that the wall of money shifts over to that Excellent. Uh, very great discussion. Yeah, it's great to interview you. We got to do this more often. Well, yeah, we do. I don't know why we don't, but we should be doing. This should be the Friday special. Next time we'll do it with a glass of wine. Definitely. Thank you, Raul. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Have a great weekend, Ed, and everybody else. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.